Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Chofov. Today's shir is the Ilunishmas Tzipora Bashmul and Gershon Moshe Ben Meir. Don't remember Gershon Moshe Ben Meir or Gershon Meir Ben Moshe. Um, may their Neshamas have an Aliyah and may their memory be a blessing to their families. Um, we're going to go from the second last line of Chof Hamad Bay 25b. Remember, we were discussing the sugya of Someone who's involved in one mitzvah is exempt from another mitzvah. And we explained according to Tosfos yesterday that obviously, and we'll just stay with Tosfos' pshat, um, that doesn't apply when you're able to perform two mitzvahs. Where, obviously, we said, if just because you're wearing tzitzis, you can't say, well, I'm not going to go give tzedakah, I'm not going to go daven, I'm not going to go uh, shake lulav. Not going to put on my tefillin because I'm wearing tzitzis. I'm oisayik b'mitzvah, potshim minah mitzvah. Tosfos says no. Whenever you can fulfill both mitzvahs, then you're exempt from the second one. And then the extra, we also took it the next step. We learned from a chosan, from a groom, that where you're just mentally preoccupied with the mitzvah, you're exempt um, you're exempt. You're exempt from a mitzvah. So again, not just any mental preoccupation or distraction. Just because chas a person's business is burning down, that doesn't necessarily. That's not a good, good enough excuse to say, well, I can't concentrate. I'm too concerned about what's going on um, to uh, to to do mitzvahs. Um, but. But if it's if his mind's preoccupied with doing a mitzvah, then he would be exempt from other mitzvahs. Okay, so that's I think a brief overview of the sugya of oisek mitzvah potem and a mitzvah. Now we're carrying on in this discussion. Now the next two opinions, as I point, interestingly Rashi learns the next this brayser does not hold for the concept of. Oisek b'mitzvah potur min ha-mitzvah. Says, Tonu Rabbonon, again, second last line of 25b, Tonu Rabbonon, Choson v'ashushvinin v'chol b'nei ha-chupa p'turim min ha-tfila u'min ha-tfilin v'chayovim b'kriyashma. The groom, the groomsmen, as I mentioned yesterday, they're um, the very close friends of the groom who help him set up the wedding and get everything organized, very involved. And kol b'nei ha-chupa, all those who are part of the celebration, are exempt from davening, from tefillin, from, yeah, and tefillin, remember, means damida, from tefillin, and obligated in Kriyashma. As we'll say, the reason they're obligated in Kriyashma is because, according to Rashi, these Tanoim, they don't hold for Oisek Mitzvah. So just because he's busy getting married, or just because they're busy helping, celebrating with the groom, no, they still hire to do the other bits of Kriyashma. Now Rashi, oh, so why are they exempt from tefillah and tefillin? So those are because of the requirements that are, are intrinsic to those mitzvahs. Tefillah, davening that mitzvah, you have to have kavona that you're standing before a king. And if you're in the middle of a party, in the middle of a wedding, good chance you've had a few drinks also, you're not going to be able to have that proper sense of awe for the amida, and therefore you exempt from davening. Um, tefillin, Tefillin, we know it's also to uh, to have kalos rosh, to be light-headed when you're wearing your tefillin. So again, you're involved in a party, you're going to be joking, playing, probably a little bit drunk, and therefore it's also to wear, you, do, you can't wear your tefillin and that's why you're exempt from them. But Kriyashma, Kriyashma really, strictly speaking, for Kriyashma all you have to do is concentrate for the first pasuk. So that's 
doable even if you're in the middle of a wedding in the middle of a party you step off the dance floor for 20 seconds think what you're going to say gather your mind and say the first pasuk of Krishna in the first paragraph okay so i mean concentrate for 20 seconds on the first paragraph and then say on the first pasuk and then say so Krishna is very easy that's why um you would be okay potter from twilin Tfilah, tfilin and obligated in Kriyashma. So Mishum Rabbi Shila Amru, in the name of Rabbi Shila, they said, Chason Potur Vahashvinan Kolbana Achupa Chayovin. Rabbi Shila says, no, the Chason is exempt, but the Shushbinim and the rest of the Chupa Chayov. Rashi explains, obviously exempt from Kriyashma. Liable, um, he's, he's liable in all, in other methods, but the groom himself, because of the extra amount of concentration that he has to have he is he he is exempt from Kriyashma even to take his mind off his wedding for a few seconds to concentrate hard on the first posuk is very difficult for the Chosun. Okay, so interesting enough again as I pointed out, these t- how Rashi learns is why you chayev in Kriyashma and why theoretic and why you chayev in mitzvahs? Because we don't they don't hold for the principle of Isaac the mitzvah potim in a mitzvah. Therefore you chayev. Um, just tefillah and tefillin are different types of mitzvahs that in this scenario he will not be able to perform them properly and therefore they are exempt. And the only bachloikis is whether the groom himself is liable in Kriyashma. The Tanakhama says he can concentrate for the few seconds it takes to say he can have full concentration for the few seconds it takes to say the first pasuk, and then he can just say the rest of the Shema with very minimal concentration, whereas Rebbe Shiloh says he can't. Other Rishonim learn, no, they hold for the principle of Oseik B'mitzvah Potum in mitzvah. But again, if you learn like Tosfos, it's where it's possible to do both of them. Okay, let's say you're busy, you're at a wedding and you realize you haven't said Kriyashma or the mitzvah of Kriyashma. You know, you step out for a few minutes and you say Kriyashma. You're not detracting from the mitzvah. You're not. So it is possible to fulfill both mitzvahs. And that's the other issue you learn again. Not like Rashi that these opinions don't hold for the concept of if you're busy in one mitzvah, you're exempt in the other mitzvah. And that's why you're climbing Kriyashma. They hold that actually where you can, they, they agree that where you can do both mitzvahs, you're liable. And here you have no excuse to not do both. Um, um, you, you have no excuse not to do both mitzvahs. Um, because again, it's, it's, it's short. Interestingly enough, you exempt from davening and from tefillin. So if you're at a wedding... Again, we don't necessarily apply it nowadays. I'm not going to go largely because we say, look, our concentration is so minimal anyway that it's that whether you're involved in a wedding and you're struggling to concentrate or just a regular night, you struggle to concentrate. So therefore, we don't really hold by these uh, exemptions. But strictly speaking, I think it's something to think to uh, look into. Is I have noticed that weddings, people start like in the middle of the wedding. A whole group of people will leave and they'll go to David Mariv. I think that could be problematic. Obviously, if you're waiting for the reception to start or, you know, or it's fitting. But I think it could be problematic in the middle of the wedding feast for everyone to just step outside. That that could affect the Simchas Chosad Vakala. Okay, but that's a side point, something to think about. Um, yeah, let's go on. Tanya, second line on Chof Vavamud Aleph. Those who write 
tefillin, sforim, tefillin, and mezuzahs. Hein v'tagrehem, v'tagre, tagrehem. Those who are writing the holy books, the tefillin and the mezuzahs. Those who are the salesmen, the traders, and those who, those are the wholesale traders and the what's it, um, retail sailors. V'chol ha'oiskim b'meleche shamayim or anyone involved in meleche shamayim la'tuye moichre tcheles coming to include those who even those who sell tcheles peturin mi kriyashma umina tfila are exempt from kriyashma and tfila umina tfilin and tfilin umikol mitzvahs ha'omuros betoyre and all mitzvahs mentioned in the Torah. And lekayim tivrei Rabbi Yosi Aglili this is to fulfill Rabbi Yosi Aglili shehoyo Rabbi Yosi Aglili oimer Rabbi Yosi Aglili says ha'oiseik b'mitzvah potur bina mitzvah someone who is busy in one mitzvah is exempt from another mitzvah. Now the who was it? Oh, the Oruch Laner brings out an amazing principle from here. He says, if you notice, none of these things are actual mitzvahs. It's not one of the 613 mitzvahs to write tefillin, to make tefillin. Again, it's essential, so it's what we would call hechsher mitzvah, preparation for a mitzvah. It's The mitzvah is to wear the tefillin, or to tie the tefillin, not to make the tefillin. And so to, um, um, so too with uh, mezuzah. I don't know if the mitzvah is to Right, the mezuzah. Interesting enough, some of these things that the preparation could be alluded to. Um, they, 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 they make a disti- uh, the Nitziv makes an interesting distinction between what, as I said, that's what we call Hesher Mitzvah. Now there's Hesher Mitzvah that's just essential to do the Mitzvah and obviously it had to a degree it's part of the Mitzvah because it's necessary for the Mitzvah but on the, there's Hesher Mitzvah that's alluded to in the Torah. For example, the Torah says you must build a um, you must build a sukkah. Tase, um, bas, um, what's it? Basukah. I don't remember the the, the pasuk slipped my mind, but it says tase by making a sukkah. And so I'm thinking now it says uksavtem al mezuzah You shall write them on the door. So maybe writing a mezuzah, building a sukkah is a very strong preparation for the mitzvah. But again, it's not the actual mitzvah. So we see anyone who's involved, even tangentially, in the in the business, in the in an aspect of mitzvahs, whether it's getting the mitzvah ready, whether it's getting the mitzvah ready for someone else, whether it's selling the mitzvah, selling for the mitzvah, all these things would be um, would in, be included in the ha'oisek b'mitzvah, potum in a mitzvah, even if they themselves are not an actual mitzvah. Just someone who point out, interesting. This is this that we said the traders are exempt is obviously where the trader is doing it. Because he wants more people to have tefillin, so he goes around selling tefillin. But if his motivation is to make a profit, well, then he's not necessarily exempt with the mitzvah potter mitzvah. But that's a discussion. Um, yeah, carrying on to the rabbon and holchei drachim beyom peturim beyom. Those who travel, who are traveling by day. Um, Are exempt from the sukkah during the day. The chayovim belayla, but they liable at night. Holchei drachim belayla, p'turim in asukah belayla. The chayovim beyom. Those who travel, who are traveling by night, they're exempt from sukkah at night. The chayovim beyom, but they're obligated to sit in the sukkah during the day. Holchei drachim beyom of belayla, p'turim in asukah bein beyom, bein belayla. And those who travel day and night are exempt from the sukkah both day and night. Now this traveling. They point out is for a business opportunity. Someone's got a 
meeting overseas or they need to travel somewhere for business, that's where we're discussing that they're exempt. And therefore, only while they're traveling exempt. But now, the obvious question is, why are they exempt? Is, there, is that a good enough reason to exempt them? You say, look, look, sorry, I can't, uh, I've got to travel to, uh, I don't know, I've got an important business meeting overseas and I've got to travel and therefore I can't sit in the sukkah. I've got to drive down to Durban for my meeting, so I can't sit in the sukkah. One thing, if you say you're traveling for a mitzvah, as we've seen, and that's the next line, it says, If you're traveling for a mitzvah, you exempt from sukkah, whether during the day or whether during the night. But when you're traveling for business, who says, you're allowed, why should you be allowed to? So Rashi points out, he says, because we know the mitzvah of sukkah is, Just as you dwell in your house, you dwell in your sukkah. That's what it says. It says, Teishu, you shall dwell in your sukkah. Aye, the sukkah must kind of be like your house. Now, you often leave your house. You often don't stay at home because you have a business meeting. So therefore, so too, you don't have to stay in your sukkah because you have a business meeting. However, at night, let's say you're traveling during the day, why not? Then you would have to, um, then you would have to stay in a sukkah. Um, Tosfos, interesting, it sounds like from Tosfos is that um, this that is obligated, let's say someone who's traveling by day is obligated not, or someone who's traveling by night is obligated by sukkah in the day. Tosfos do seem to imply that it's specifically where it's not unnecessary effort. It's going to take you a few hours or you're going to have to build a wooden sukkah from scratch. Then even Then you might be exempt even at night because you're allowed to travel. And that would, uh, and it would be too difficult to build. But again, I think the line where to apply that is quite dif- difficult. Um, that's quite difficult to define. And then a third point to issue is what about traveling for leisure? Let's say you want to go on a what a cholamoid uh, day trip. So you exempt from sukkah because you're traveling, or you want to go on holiday. Are you exempt from traveling? Is it specifically for like business, which is more essential? Or maybe uh, business, you could even say to a degree is a mitzvah because it's earning a parnosa for you and your family. But um, we don't seem to be saying that it's an actual mitzvah here. But I mean, it could be. But um, so how far do we take that? Some great poskim want to actually say that if you're traveling for leisure, then you don't have this claim that, well, I'm busy traveling. I'm not going to, I'm exempt from a sukkah. It's only if you're traveling for business. And then obviously if you're traveling for a mitzvah. And one other point uh, just to highlight is, again, this that we, we're saying it's a case where if you're traveling by day, you would be chav in sukkah at night. But if you're traveling for a mitzvah, you would be even exempt at night. So again, according to the tosos I mentioned at the beginning of today's shir, you'd have to say it's where it's, it will distract you from your mitzvah a little bit. It will detract from the mitzvah this that you have to go stay in the sukkah. Because remember, again, where you can fulfill two mitzvahs, then you have to fulfill two mitzvahs. Then you have to fulfill both of them. This above principle is exactly like, like the case of Rav Chizda and Rav Barafuna. When they would travel for the Shabbos of the festival to the Reish Golusa, they would go to the Shir. They stayed on the banks of the river Surya. They didn't bother getting a sukkah. So it says, Omri, Anan, Shluchem, Mitzvah, Anan, Upturim. We are on the way to do a mitzvah and therefore we exempt. We are on the way to study Torah and therefore we exempt from a sukkah. 
Tanur Abonu, we learned in a Brisa. Shomriya ir biyom paturin minasuka biyom v'chayovim alayla. The city guards, the gap patrol, obviously we're talking about Jewish, Jewish uh, people on, who are part of gap and on patrol during the day are exempt from sukkah, but they're liable at night. What would the reason for this be? Again, teishful ka'in to diru. You dwell in your sukkah just as you dwell in your house. As a security guard leaves his house to go on patrol during the day, so he's exempt from sukkah because he leaves his house and goes on patrol. You kind of view your sukkah to a large degree. Your house, is it, when you would normally be in your house, you have to be in the sukkah. Or you should be in the sukkah. But when you would not be in your house, then you do not have to be in the sukkah. So, again, you would not be in your house when you're on patrol. So you exempt from sukkah. It says, And those who are on patrol guarding the city at night are exempt from sukkah at night and liable during the day. It might not even be on patrol. That's just the easiest way to understand it. Um, those who are on 24-hour duty are exempt both during day and night. Those who guard um, orchards and fields and gardens, they are exempt both at night. Why are they exempt both day and night? Because they leave their home to go stay they don't return home while they're on duty. They go and stay out by the field, by the orchard, and they sit there and guard. So just as they don't stay in their home the rest of the year, they don't have to stay in their sukkah. Rashi points out very interesting. Um, why are they? So he says, because why don't we just say, I mean, we're going to ask, just build a sukkah there. So he says, well, if the sukkah hosom, why don't we build a sukkah there? Velaisfu and let them dwell in it. So by Omer into Diru, you dwell in it like you dwell in your house. Rav Omer. Yeah, Rav Omer. Rav says, It's a, it's an open door to a thief. Let's just Rav is a little bit easier. Oh yeah, my um, Rav is saying that. If you've got this guy's on security and he's sitting in his sukkah, he can't see well. He can see out one side of the sukkah, but he can't see well. It's so easy for the for the thieves to sneak around him. I was thinking also someone who's uh, who's uh, um, someone who's sitting in a sukkah in a hut is more likely to fall asleep. They're not as alert as if they're sitting out in the open. So therefore, it's an open door. For the thief. That's Rava's answer. Abaya says, Teshul Kaintaturu, you live in your sukkah like you dwell in your house. Now Rashi says, very interestingly, he says, because when it says you live in your house, it means you take all your, I don't know what you call them, accessories that you'd normally have into the sukkah. You take your bed, you take your cup, you take your kalim, you take all these uh, items from your house into your sukkah. And that's when you dwell in your sukkah. But out by the field, you're never going to schlep a bed out to the orchards where you're standing security shift. You're never going to sh- um, schlep all these different kalim um, and accessories that he needs, and therefore you're exempt. Um, and that's uh, that's what uh, so that's how a buyer 
explains that that's how Rashi explains a buyer, which is quite interesting. It means that if you, for whatever reason, where you wouldn't, your, your sukkah must also be plausible living. Like, again, when I live in my house, I have my bed there and stuff. So my sukkah that's right next to my house, I'll put my bed in and my other kalim and things that I need there. My bedside lamp and uh, a chair and a table and all these things. But when I'm out in the orchard, I'm never going to schlep my bed and my bedside table and my lamp and those things to uh, to uh, to the orchard. So therefore, I'm exempt from sukkah. That's how Rashi learns. Um, the Gemara asks, my bene, what's the difference between a buyer and rov? Again, a buyer was the one who says, Teshul came to Duru, like you dwell in your, your only, you stay in the sukkah like you dwell in the house. And Robert says, it's an open door for a thief. It says, The difference could be if you're guarding a pile of fruit. If you're guarding a pile of fruit, you could build your sukkah and have the third wall, the fourth wall open and face it to the pile of fruit that you're guarding and it would not detract from your abilities whereas according to a buyer you still wouldn't bother schlepping your bed and all your kalim and accessories there so you wouldn't have to worry okay then we move on to the next phrase from the Mishnah a sick person and their assistants are exempt from sukkah we're not discussing a choyle who's dangerously ill obviously a dangerously ill sukkah you do a choyle you do whatever's necessary for him anything to make him more comfortable more calm, and everyone who's helping to him is life-saving. So, um, obviously, even a choyle who's not in danger, and even not only not in danger, even if he has a slight sore eyes, or a small headache. Sorry, Once, uh, when I was in Caesarea, I had, uh, I had a, a pain in my eyes, Vehiti Rabbi Yosi Brevi and Rabbi Yosi Brevi allowed me Lisha Aniu Masham Shechutz Sukkah me and my assistants outside of the Sukkah. Again, and I think again the logic is Teishul Kain to Diru. If you were at home and there was a room where you felt you could be slightly more comfortable, let's say the sukkah's bright and you've got a little bit of a headache or your eyes are sore, so the brightness is bothering you. If you were in your house, you'd move to a darker room, so so it's in the sukkah. Tsar, you can move to a darker room. This we'll see later. Rava learns out from where it discusses sitting in the sukkah in rain. But let's just, we'll wait till we get there. Um, Just one question. Why is an attendant, so again, someone's got a small headache, so his servants... His attendants are also exempt from sukkah. Why are they exempt from sukkah? So the one, it, it seems two possibilities. I don't know if they necessarily mutually exclusive. One is oisek b'mitzvah poter mena mitzvah. If you're helping a sick person, well then you're busy with the mitzvah, so you're exempt from the mitzvah of sukkah. The other opinion is teishuka intaduru. If you're an attendant, you don't stay in your house while you're busy attending. So you don't have to stay in the sukkah while you're busy attending. That's similar to what we said by someone traveling. Just as someone on a business trip, he doesn't stay in his house so he can go on his business trip. He doesn't have to stay in his sukkah. Okay, carrying on, he says, Rav allowed Rav Acha Bardala to sleep in a mosquito net in the sukkah under this canopy in the sukkah because of the mosquitoes. Most opinions hold if you're sleeping under this canopy in the sukkah, you do not fulfill your mitzvah. But here he was in Tsar, the mosquitoes were bothering him, so he was so Rav allowed him to. Rav allowed Rabbi Achabar Ada to sleep outside of the sukkah because of the smell of the white sand. And Rav Latimer, Rav is going according to his reason. Someone who's uncomfortable, who's distressed, 
who's in pain, is exempt from the sukkah. Interesting enough, we learned earlier, you're not allowed to make your sukkah where there's a bad smell. You're not allowed to make your sukkah where someone will leave it because of that. You're not allowed to do that. Um, again, as I mentioned, in South Africa, they bring it a problem. Most Many people would not feel comfortable sleeping in their sukkah because of security issues. So someone, oh, you're building your sukkah in a place where you won't want to stay in it. That's a huge uh, problem. Something, uh, something to consider. Um, but again, so Rav says, you wouldn't be allowed to build your sukkah where the sirchot makes a funny smell. So there are various answers. They all boil down to the same point. That for most people, or when it was built, it doesn't bother. But for Rav Acha, specifically Rav Acha Barada, this bothered him. So maybe it's the smell of, most people don't mind that smell. You know, sometimes there are certain herbs and fragrances that most people are happy with, don't mind or don't notice. And there are certain people that they really, really annoy or really repulsed or they make them feel nauseous. So if there's a smell in the sukkah that most people don't mind, but it makes you feel nauseous, you're exempt from your sukkah. Or another possibility, again, these are very practical, that's why I'm elaborating a little. Um, um, what could, what is another? Oh, it only turned bad after it was damp. So most people. So it only the smell changed when it was damp. But again, Rav Acha was a visitor, so therefore they didn't take him into consideration when they built the sukkah. The sukkah was one hundred percent valid, but for him it distressed him. He felt nausea sitting in that sukkah, so he was allowed to leave. He was exempt from the sukkah. In Mitzvah law. Oh, but the Mishnah said that only someone who's sick, not just someone who's in a little bit, Mitzvah is lower than sick. Mitzvah is whatever, a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. So Omar, Omri, they said, No, a sick person and his assistants are exempt. Mitzvah, but someone who's just distressed, like this uh, Rav, um, Rabbi Achabar Aru, just couldn't handle the smell. The smell bothered him. So he's exempt. But his assistants are not exempt. They have to remain in the sukkah, eat and sleep in the sukkah. Okay, carrying on to the next one. You're allowed to eat achilas outside the sukkah. Now, I didn't discuss it at the, at the Mishnah, but you're allowed to eat a snack. Why are you exempt? Why, granted a meal you have to eat in the sukkah and you have to sleep in the sukkah. But why a snack are you exempt from, your, are you exempt from the sukkah? Achilas arai. So the answer is just as your house. When in your house... Or when you're eating a snack, you don't care. You'll eat it anyway. You'll eat it in the car. You'll eat it in your house. You'll eat it anyway. So you can eat it outside the sukkah. Just as you dwell in your house, you dwell in your sukkah. A meal. Okay, so a meal you're more careful to eat in your dining room or in your kitchen, in your house. So therefore, you need to eat it in the sukkah. That would be the logic. The um, Rand brings that on the Mishnah. It says, Arai. How much is Achilas Arai? How much are you allowed to eat outside the sukkah? Now, obviously, we, um, you have to go into... And Shulchan Aruch does. I'm not going to go into the details now. Regarding, um, sorry, it slipped my mind. Um, is it mazoinos or fruit? Most likely, fruit and su- and such would always consider be considered a snack, no matter how much you're eating. Fruit's always a snack. And the question here would be mazonas or bread. Maybe only bread or maybe bread and mazonas. That would be more meal-like food. And there, that's what we're discussing. How much would you be allowed to eat outside the sukkah? Regarding drinks, so most drinks people say are considered a snack all the time. Wine is a bit of a discussion. 
says, but again, if you're having a meal, then the drink is considered part of the meal. So interesting enough, let's say you're sitting down for your Yom Tov meal, you might not even be allowed to have a glass of water out while having your Yom Tov meal. You're probably not allowed to have even a glass of water outside of your sukkah. But um, but that's a more technical point. So, so, Amr, so how much is Achilles rice? So Amr Rabbi Yosef, Tartioid plus, boy. Rabbi Yosef said two or three egg sizes. Amr Rabbi Yosef said Oh, but sometimes a person will eat two or three eggs fulls, egg sizes, and he'll be full. And that will be a, f- a real meal for him. So El Omar Abai, rather Abai, says, what's the definition? Because the time, it's the amount that a shiva bocha quickly tastes before going into shir. He knows shir might take quite a long time, might get a bit hungry. So he has a quick, a quick eat before he rushes into shir. That's the amount. Okay, not a very uh, specific amount, but that is um, that's the amount. The rabbi said you allowed to have a, um, you're allowed to eat a snack outside the sukkah, but you're not allowed to sleep, have a nap outside the sukkah. Now, why is that? My timer. Why is there that difference? Says you would you would have a nap in your you you would just as we we could say a similar reason you have your nap anywhere you're sitting in your lounge you might just have a little nap on the couch you're sitting in your office you might have a little nap so so too you should if you you shouldn't have to have a nap in the sukkah so Omar Rav Ashi Rav Ashi says Zayra Shami Yardim it's a Zayra that you might fall into a deep sleep oh, and then you're having a proper sleep which has to be done in the sukkah says Omar Abaya Elohot Tanya Yoshein Adam Shainos Sarai Betfilin Avalo Shainos Keva um, says, but wait, but fillin, we say you're allowed to have a nap, but you're not allowed to have a proper sleep in your tfilin. The concern is that you'll pass gas when you fall asleep. But wait, so wait, what are we saying? But fillin, you can have a nap, but you can't, but you're not allowed to have a proper sleep. We should say, but fillin also, but what you might fall into a deep sleep. Just as we said, why are you not allowed to sleep, have a nap outside your sukkah? Because you might fall into a deep sleep. Well, so too, but feeling you should have that concern. So, Amar Abiyo said, Brad Ravila, Bamoise Shnaisola Chayrim. He says, Shnaisola Chayrim. No, it's where you give your sleep over to another. What does that mean? Give your sleep over to another? You, say, you use someone, you tell him, just make sure I don't fall asleep. Say, I'm just going to have a nap. Wake me up in five minutes. I don't ever fall asleep properly. He says, Oh, Matki Flora Masharsha, Arvecho Arvat Sorich. Rabbi Ashi says, you can't, uh, um, He says, You can't say that because. The person who's watching you from going to sleep might himself fall asleep. So you're going to need another person. So El Omar Rabbi Bar Barchana Omar Yochanan. So rather Rabbi Barchana said the name of of Rabbi Yochanan says no. There's a difference between sukkah and tefillin. Regarding his tefillin, um, it's where he puts his head between his knees. He kind of goes to sleep leaning over on his lap. In my mind, he's trying to have a sleep, like sleeping on the on the airplane or something like that, trying to find a comfortable position. Um, there, you don't have to worry that he'll fall into a deep sleep. Um, and that's why it's permitted in your tefillin to have that sort of sleep. Put your have that sort of nap in a way that you won't fall into a deep sleep. But and it sounds again, there are subtle distinctions in the halacha, but it sounds like what we're saying is that where you, if you're snapping in a way that you won't fall into a deep sleep, then it's fine. Even in your, even you don't have to have that sort of nap in your sukkah. But if you're lying down on the couch, 
or you're lying down in your bed saying, I'm just going to have a few minute nap, you might fall into a deep sleep, so you will not be allowed to do that in the sukkah, and you outside the sukkah, and you would not be allowed to do that in your tefillin. Um, Rava, Omar, Rava gives a totally different answer why um, you're not allowed to nap outside the sukkah, and he says, I'm There's no fixed measure of what a full sleep is. Sometimes you'll sleep 10 minutes and feel refreshed. So that means you had a proper sleep. Sometimes you'll sleep half an hour and you'll feel refreshed and sometimes you'll sleep four hours and you won't feel refreshed. So there's no set amount for what is a good sleep. So therefore you um, therefore Robert says that's why you can't sleep outside the sukkah. Okay. Again, it's a big discussion regarding exactly in your tefillin, when are you allowed to nap, when are you not allowed to nap. But we're, we would be quite strict, especially because we wear their, remember they used to wear their tefillin. I mean, this will be relevant for understanding the rest of the sukya. But remember, they used to wear their tefillin the whole day. So to have a nap in their tefillin was more natural. We wear our tefillin for half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe an hour. So therefore, to take, you know, obviously we take them off, we wear them for the bare minimum. Okay, carrying on with halachas regarding sleeping in tefillin. Tony Chada, one tana, one brayzer taught. Yoshen Arab metfila shainas aray, avaloi shainas keva. One brayzer taught you're allowed to sleep, have a nap in your tefillin, but not a proper sleep. But Tanya Irich, another brayzer taught, bain keva bain aray. No, you can have a proper sleep or a nap. But Tanya Irich, loy keva aray, and a third brayzer taught you're not allowed to have a nap or a sleep or a nap. So we've got three different opinions. What are you allowed to do in your tefillin? Are you allowed to have a proper sleep? Are you not even allowed to have a nap? Or you can have a nap, but not a proper sleep. So he says, Lo kasha. They're not arguing. This that it says you're not even allowed to have a nap in them is where you're holding your tefillin. Because if you have a nap and you're holding your tefillin, you might drop them. So therefore, you can't even have a nap in your tefillin. Says, this that you're allowed to have a nap, but you're not allowed to have a proper sleep, is where he's wearing them. As we said, you're not allowed to have a proper sleep wearing your tefillin because you might pass gas. And this that you're allowed to have a proper sleep is where you just, obviously you take your tefillin off and you cover them. Again, remember you want to have a sleep, you wear your tefillin the whole day and you want to have a nap at lunchtime. So you don't have to wrap them up and put them or find somewhere safe to put them, etc. You can take it off and cover it and have a nap. That's what the third bri- that's the bracer which said you're allowed to have a proper sleep with your tefillin. The Kamashainas Arai, how long is a nap? Tony Rami Ama, the time it takes to walk a hundred Ama, which they calculate is about fifty-five seconds. So someone is say that's a Shainas Arai's fifty-five seconds. Tanya Nami Hakia Yoshan Bitfilin Varoi Kerry. There's another opinion. We're going to learn out a, a separate halacha, but this is going to come. But by the way, this discussion of how long a, temp, a nap is. But what's it, what happens if someone falls asleep in that filling and they have a carry? They have a seminal admission. Now, someone who's a carry is not allowed to wear or hold his filling as long as the carry is on him. So what, so what does he do? He says, He holds the strap, but he, and he mustn't hold the box. That's Rabbi Yaakov's opinion. It's, granted, he shouldn't be touching his tefillin while he has carry on his body. It's the 
best option is to hold the straps. Interesting stuff, you're also not allowed to dangle your tefillin. You're not ever supposed to hold your tefillin by the straps. Whenever you're taking your tefillin on and off or moving them, you should be holding them by the boxes. But remember, the boxes have the shin and the straps tied into them that make a dalit and Hashem's name. So much rather than, if a person has carry on them, much rather than hold the box, hold the strap. This implied, from the Tanad implied, that you're allowed to have a proper sleep. And then it discussed what you do if you have a carry. The Chakamim said you're not allowed to have a proper sleep, you're only allowed to have a nap. The time it takes to walk a hundred Amos. Now, Omar Rav, let's. So once we discussed napping in your tefillin and sleeping, we now discuss the side point. A person is not allowed to sleep in the day longer than a horse sleeps. It says, How long does a horse sleep for? Something along the lines of 60 breaths. Now there's a whole range of opinions what it means. Um, what is 60 breaths? It ranges from about 3 minutes to 3 hours. I think we generally say about 30 minutes. So according to this opinion, a person shouldn't really sleep more than 30 minutes in the day. It says, The sleep of Mar, that's Abayah's Rebbe, Rabba. He used to sleep like Rav, and Rav used to sleep like Rebbe. The Rebbe could a David, and Rebbe used to sleep like David. For David, and David could a susia like a horse. susia which is sixty minutes. David Amelech never used to sleep longer than thirty minutes at a time. That was a pious practice David Amelech had, and he used to. Interesting enough, one of the connections between it is because we know that when a person sleeps. There's a ruach, there's that ruach raw that comes on his body and then goes to his fingers. That's why we vats after we sleep. Someone who say it only comes on after shisinishmin, after this, say about half an hour. Um, now what's interesting, did, the, did that, was this also, but David Amelech, it seems it was even at night. But by these other Amoraim and Tanoim, it seems they might have not been as careful at night, but during the day. But there are certain pious people in the past that they say, they called it the Vilnagon schedule. And I think the Vilnagon, I mean, he was on a different league. He was uh, someone who didn't require much physicality to, he was so spiritual, he didn't require much physic, um, physical needs the same as us. Um, but they say that he used to sleep approximately two hours in 24 hours and only in half an hour bursts. That's what they say about the Vilnagon. So it seems like similar to Kira David, like David Amelech. Abai used to sleep the time it would take to travel from Pumpedisa to Beikuvi. And Koryalei Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said about him, At Mosai Ansel Tishkov, how long will this lazy person lie down? Mosai Toko Mishnei Secho, when will you get up from, when will you wake up? So um, quite uh, critical of how long he used to nap. Rashi says, how long was this? So Rashi says, um, it's explained elsewhere that it's Shisa Parse, six Parses, which I've got a note in, my, in the Sarah margin, which is about seven hours. Um, now, just interestingly on this, they ask, Rashi says it's explained elsewhere. Um, 
So all a lot of the poskim ask, I've looked through Shas and it doesn't say where the distance between Pumpadisa and Baikuvi. Obviously Rashi says, Rashi brings, says, quote, he says, I explained elsewhere and no one can find it. It's quite interesting. Someone suggests maybe it's a Midrash somewhere, not in Shas. But it's interesting, Rashi seems very confident here that it's six parse from uh, um, from Pumpadisa to Baikuvi and no one, no one knows where Rashi gets that from. Tonra Bonin. If someone's going to sleep in the day, if he wants, he can wear his tefillin. If he wants, he can take them off. But if he's going to sleep at night, he takes them off and he's not allowed to leave them on. That's the opinion of Rabbi Noson. Rabbi Yossi comes to Ahab, says, Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Hayelodim, young men, they, um, um, they should remove that tefillin and should never, even in the day, have a sleep with them because they, regiling betuma, ahavamina, is that they often have impure thoughts that lead to carry. Um, Rashi also points out why should you, why if you want to wear your tefillin, you, if you're going to sleep in the day, if you want to wear your tefillin, you can. If you don't want to wear your, if you want to take them off, you can. But at night you have to take them off. The concern there is if his wife's near him and he might want to do tashmish. Says, Seems like Rabbi Yossi is saying that someone who's a Balkari is not allowed to wear tefillin. Which, as, a, um, as we said earlier, about while he has the carry on him, remember at the bottom of the pre- previous Amud, at the top of this Amud, we discussed if he's wearing his tefillin and he sees a carry, he must take them off by the straps but not by the box. That was when he had actual carry on him still. He hadn't had a chance to wash himself. But Rabbi Yossi seems to be going strict and saying that he's not even allowed to wear his tefillin. So Amr Abayah, no. It's not because they might see carry. That's not the reason that they're not allowed to wear tefillin. The concern here is we're talking about young men whose wives are with them. Shema Yovoli, they Dover, they might come to uh, Tashmish. Now, why? And again, it's not only young men, but it's more likely that youngsters are going to, if they're, if they're having any sort of sleep during the day or not, and their wives around, they might um, come to Hergil Dovel. Dovel, interesting, what's the problem with having Tashmish in Tefillin? So, as we've mentioned a few times, your Tefillin, you have to have, you can't wear your Tefillin with Kalos Rosh, with the lightheadedness. You have to be, you can't have Hesachatas, you're supposed to remember that your Tefillin are on you, etc. So, those would all be issues with wearing your Tefillin. Um, while um, while having Tashmish. So therefore, you sh- um, if there's a chance that he had come to Tashmish, he must make sure before he goes to sleep to take them off. Tony Rabbonin, oh, yeah, I should also mention at a side point, there's a whole, dis- it's another machloikas whether you have to wear tefillin at night. As we learned at night, we don't wear tefillin. Definitely not, and we take them off. It's, uh, it seems to be, it's also Rabbonin to wear your tefillin now, but Doraisa, should you be wearing your tefillin at night? That's a machloikis elsewhere. Okay, ton rabbonon shochach v'shimesh mitoso. If someone forgot and they had tashmish b'tefillin while wearing tefillin, eino oiches loy beritzur v'loy beketzitzah. He mustn't touch the the strap or even the or the box. Ad sheyitol yodov v'yitle mivnei sheyayda maskon yosef until he's washed his hand because hands are busy. Ah, you don't know where his hands have touched in the middle of Tashmish, therefore his actual hands are dirty, 
are considered dirty, and therefore he can't touch his tefillin. He must go wash his hands and then remove his tefillin. Again, this is stricter than what we saw up above, someone who has a carry while wearing their tefillin, because there his hands aren't actually dirty. He just has carry on his body, and he's not supposed to be wearing tefillin, so he can take them off by holding the straps. Here he mustn't even touch the straps. Um, okay, I think we'll start the new Mishnah tomorrow um, with the new discussion.